0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And hey, it's Saturday. Looks like it's time for a Vault episode. Can we crank one out here? Yes, we are going to open the vault and let loose the humanzies. Now, this was an episode you did back with Christian and when was this? This would have been from January 21st, 2016, and this was uh th- this is an episode that uh that gets into some very troubling territory. We start thinking about this uh like like breaking the barrier between species. Uh, it, it gets a little dark, I have to admit, uh, but it was a popular episode, and it's one that Joe Rogan himself uh, contacted <laughs> us about and gave us a thumbs up on. Okay. Which was very cool of him. Very cool of Joe to do that. It surely
1: was. If I remember, it was like he like posted about it on Instagram or something while he was yeah. at the
0: gym, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it is, it is a weird episode, but it's, it's the truth and the weirdness that is the most amazing, uh-huh. like the, the actual true story of researchers looking at this, uh, this taboo area, this place where uh, species, uh, the human species, brushes up against some of its closest uh, relatives. Crazy. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's get right into it.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff That Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Hey, Robert,
1: uh, if I were to ask you uh, how you felt about ape-human hybrids on a scale of 1 to ten, one being really uncomfortable and 10 being, you know, pretty comfortable, like you'd hang out with them, uh, <laughs> where, where, would the, where would you fall? Uh, my, my gut is a three, a three. So you, yeah, that, that seems, I think about on par with most people, most people's reaction to the idea of a species, a, a new species, I guess, being generated from humans and apes coming together is disgust, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess or that, fear.
0: Yeah. And that would probably be like the one and the two on um, the three. Yeah. I would probably just stand there awkwardly while the, the hybrids did their thing and would be contemplate a lot of reservations about how this came to pass uh, who who allowed this to happen who made this happen yeah. and uh, and how am i supposed to feel about myself as a human as a person how am i yeah. supposed to feel about them it brings up a lot persons? of questions uh, and and not just for us uh and, and
1: this is an old stuff to blow your mind topic in fact uh, there's a there's an episode from 4 years ago where you and Julie tackled the same topic we're talking about Humanzees, which is the possibility of hybridization between chimpanzees and humans. Uh, It's something that's been studied and experimented on for as far as we know, at least a hundred years, if not more longer. uh, And is, you know, I think it's stuff to blow your mind, right? Like it's it's definitely something that most people didn't expect. I came across it when we were researching for the X-Files episodes. Uh, about the possibilities of alien human hybrids and humanzies came up in the research there, so we're revisiting it.
0: Yeah, and luckily we have we have some better sources at our disposal this time around uh, for a you know a deeper dive into uh, uh, one particular case that we're going to spend a lot of time with here. Oh yeah, and. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned the X Files, and I think that's that's great. We're going to mention a little bit of horror fiction, a little bit of, of, of comic book material here at the top because yeah. it's a it's such a mind blowing topic. It's a, a topic that that forces us to to rethink what we are and what it is to be human what it is to be a person it certainly worked for turn of the century sort of uh chilling thrillers right
1: oh yeah um but before we get into that let's just uh, remind the audience so hey we do way more than just the podcast if you've been listening to the podcast as many uh, we've been getting a lot of nice letters from people who've just started listening to the show uh we do more than that. Uh we've got videos. Uh Robert is on How Stuff Works Now once a week. Both of us write for How Stuff Works yep. Now at least once a week. Uh Joe is also on another podcast and show called Forward Thinking. The best way to find out about all that stuff that we do, writing, videos, etc., is to visit us at stufftoblowyourmind.com and then follow us on social media, whatever your, you know, your social media of choice is. Facebook, Twitter,
0: Tumblr, we're on all of them. Yeah, indeed. So so check us out there if you haven't already. And, uh, hey, if you listen to us on iTunes uh, or, you know, however you listen to us, uh, give us a little feedback. Bump us up in the algorithm for yeah. your preferred um, uh, podcast um, service, and uh, that'll help us out. It's a great way to support the show.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. We're about to hit some new, I guess they call them markets uh, in mm-hmm. terms of podcasting. But Google Play is coming up for us and um, and Spotify as well. Yeah. So, hey, whatever
0: you listen to out there, uh, we're on all of them soon. All right. So to start off, I, I want to talk with you just a little bit about uh, an, an area of fiction that uh, that always fascinated me, particularly because you see uh, several different individuals hitting the same topic around the same time. Yeah, in the same time frame. Um, the earliest. Being uh, that of uh, uh, that explored by H.G. Wells in his novel *The Island of Doctor Moreau*, uh, eighteen ninety-six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What,
1: mostly known for the movie adaptations nowadays? Although I imagine at the time that it came out, there was a little bit of shock to the subject matter as well.
0: Oh yeah, and ap- apparently Wells wrote this uh, in large part as, a, as as a protest against vivisection, the, huh. the live uh, dissection of of animals for research purposes. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that's definitely something that's lost in the, yeah, the, the, the film iterations. But, yeah. uh, but I definitely remember watching the old Burt Lancaster version of this <laughs> on, like, a, on a daytime horror show that was, uh, hosted by Al, um, uh, what was his name? Um, Grandpa Munster. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't hosted, know his real name. hosted by Grandpa on TBS back yeah. in the day. And it was, yeah. you know, it was kind of grimy and creepy and hairy. And then of course we got that uh that wonderful Marlon Brand. The 90s operation. one. Yeah, I saw that in the theater in the
1: 90s. Oh, wow. Um it's it's not good, but it's still I I don't know, it has a holds a warm place in my heart. There's some there's some stuff about it I like. Yeah, director, but Richard Stanley, I believe,
0: and I think there's yeah, a documentary. There's a documentary. Yeah. I
1: haven't seen it yet, but there's a documentary about the making of it. But yeah, uh, for more, more than just the, the fear of vivisection or, uh, <laughs> human interspecies crossover, there's a lot of people who stay away from that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what I'm thinking of too is even before that, this isn't necessarily like a crossover, but Murders in the Rue Morgue, the Edgar oh, Allan yeah. Poe story, spoilers for like a 200 year old story, but, uh, ends up being the murderer ends up being an orangutan that did he escaped from a zoo or a circus or something that was nearby and, and comes in and it's a, it's a locked door mystery yeah. and and kills these people with like a razor blade or something.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great one. Uh, and certainly I think is a part of this, this sort of scene of, uh, yeah. weird ape short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, like because another one that comes to mind and this was a bit later in 1923 but you had the adventure of the creeping man by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Yeah I haven't read that one Well the there's an interesting twist here because it seems like it's going to be a marauding uh, murderous ape Yeah but it turns out that it's um that it's a a, a human who has been taking um uh, simian derived uh, enhancement products Okay um, <laughs> and uh you know and it's actually either biologically or psychologically changing him into this uh, this ape-like guy that's so running So it's a around. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of scenario.
1: Kind of, yeah. Huh. I wonder if they're going to incorporate this into the next season of the BBC Sherlock, where Benedict Cumberbatch will be uh, it, uh, dueling with this half-ape, half-man. They
0: should, man. I, I'm a big fan of the weirder uh, Conan Doyle mm. stories, like that one and... Um, the Devil's Foot, which has a, a deadly psychedelic poison that drives people mad. Wow. Yeah,
1: that stuff's great. Well, so, okay, you've also told me that there's a Lovecraft story, and this is uh,
0: outside of my knowledge of the Lovecraft readings I've done. So so what's it about? Uh, the, t- the title of the story is Facts Concerning the Late Arthur German and His Family by, um, by H.P. Lovecraft. This is 1920. So and, this is pretty
1: early Lovecraft.
0: Yeah, and it's... Uh, you know, I, I, definitely wouldn't classify it as being one of, like, one of the great stories. Yeah. It's, it, but it's definitely worth exploring if you're interested in weird ape, uh, fiction and if you're interested in the whole, like, racial context of, of Lovecraft yeah. and his racial attitudes. Because I can you can definitely imagine. see that kind of racial anxiety, um, to put it kindly, uh, in this work. Uh, I'm gonna read a quick quote from it. it. It concerns, uh, you know, Europeans coming back from African expeditions mm-hmm. having encountered apes. Quote, science, already oppressive with its shocking revelations, will perhaps be the ultimate exterminator of our human species, if separate species we be, for its reserve of unguessed horrors could never be borne by mortal brains if loosed upon the world if we knew what we are we should do as sir arthur german did and sir arthur german soaked himself in oil and set fire to his clothing one night. <laughs> so as it turns out classic, in, in classic the, howard phillips yeah <laughs> you just you, you immolate yourself and that's, uh, that's how you in the story yeah. but um Basically, what happened is uh, this German character goes out on the moor and burns himself after seeing the boxed object, which had come back from Africa. So basically, the whole twist here is uh, he finds out that um, that his uh, his mother, I believe, was a white um, ape a creature from Africa. Okay, and his father was like an explorer or something like that. Yeah, who fell in love with the creature Uh and and that he's the offspring. And yeah, so it's, you know, maybe it's a a, And he's so horrified by his lineage that he commits suicide. Exactly. Yeah. And, you
1: know, it's maybe it's a little... um, it's, it's a twist clunk. on the clunky, old. I admit, it's a twist on the old uh, Lovecraft uh, Shadow over Innsmouth. It's a very similar kind of ending, except yeah, for yeah. that guy doesn't kill himself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and also similar a little bit to uh, to Innsmouth in that regard. Yeah, getting into yeah, the yeah. whole, yeah. you know, the racial horror, racial anxiety, and, and but it it does tie in nicely into what we're going to talk about today, into the real abhorrence and into the, the some of the actual science that was going on around this period. Yeah, in fact, uh so I've talked about this
1: on the show before, but you know, the silver age of comic books right around the end of the 50s, beginning of the 60s, there was a fascination with this very topic of these of uh ape men basically. Yeah. Uh and they showed up all over the place in comics and and some of the big ones are still around today. I mean, the the Flash TV show that's airing right now just had Gorilla Grodd, which is one of my favorite characters from all of comics history. On it,
0: he's a super intelligent ape. Right?
1: Yeah, so these aren't necessarily ape human hybrids, but they're 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 either that or they're men that have been turned into apes mm-hmm. or they're super intelligent apes. So, like in the case of Gorilla Grodd, he comes from a city called Gorilla City that's hidden in the wilderness somewhere, where there's just all these super intelligent apes, and they're so smart that they've like built science that allows them to hide themselves from society. Uh, Congorilla is another one, which I believe I, I don't know the the specific details, but I think Congorilla is like a guy. Who's been cursed or something like that mm-hmm. uh, in the Congo to be a gorilla? Same with Gorilla Man, uh, okay. sa- almost the exact same origin. There's a <laughs> there's a villain uh, called the Ultra Humanite that is like a scientist who's placed his brain inside a gorilla's body. I believe it's like a big uh, white gorilla, uh-huh. um, and th- that'll come into play when we talk later about the the Chinese experiments that were being done uh, around hybridization. There's Monsieur Mala, and then the one. Uh, that I, that I immediately thought of when we were doing the research for this was the Red Ghost, which is an old Fantastic Four villain, and he's like a, a Russian scientist uh who gets exposed to i think like cosmic rays or something like that with three apes that he has with him he has a gorilla a baboon and orangutan and they all develop superpowers and hang out together oh wow and his name his real name is ivan Kragoff, and the guy we're going to talk about today his name is ivan ivanov Uh. and so i wonder if uh that was the inspiration uh, Ivan Ivanov was the
0: inspiration for the Red Ghost character. It might have been. You know, I'm also reminded of um, the Hellboy villain uh, Herman Van oh, yeah, from uh, yeah. The uh, the Conqueror Worm, which is my favorite uh, Hellboy adventure. Well, I'll, all right. Real quick before we get into the,
1: the the crazy science behind this, I'll give you a little factoid. Okay. So uh, it is a known uh, thing within the comics industry that if you put... This was back in the day. If you put the color purple or an, a- or and an ape on the cover of your comic, it would sell more copies. Huh. And so that was one of the reasons why there were so many of these characters that popped up at the time. Is huh. that they just, they don't know, you know, somehow the things correlated together to higher sales. So they were constantly producing more gorilla grods or con gorillas or whatever.
0: So maybe there's somehow uh, those covers were yeah. just cutting in almost subconsciously. To this, uh, to, to the post-Darwinian um, existential problem, exactly, of man versus ape. Not yeah. not not only in physical combat where we're going to lose, but just in terms of identity. It's like,
1: yeah, it was. It's like the tabloid cover of its time that immediately kind of clicks something in your head and makes you go, "Oh, I'm not quite right with that, but I need to figure out what what danger it poses to me."
0: Yeah. Plus, I've also heard that uh, in the, the post-Darwinian world the idea of our bestial nature, instead of being represented in the form of werewolves and um you know another type of beastman, yeah. like the gorilla and the ape man becomes the, the, the prime uh mold that for makes the sense. bestial human. Yeah, yeah, the fear of
1: regressing back to your primal nature beyond your rational one.
0: Yeah. So what better for Superman? Uh, Superman too, has too a battle. villain.
1: Yeah. I believe his name is Titano, the super
0: ape. Oh, is he made of metal? <laughs> uh, no, he's just a big ape. Oh, okay. <laughs> With superpowers, I think, or something. Well, I get by that point, all <laughs> the names were being used up. So yeah, that, exactly. Something fancy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, all right, let's dive into this. Let's dive into the Darwinism, the the eugenics behind it, the the fear too. There's just a palpable fear about this, so much so that scientists have actually filed patents to try
0: to keep this from happening. So the filing of a of a patent just to make sure nobody else actually engages in hybridization.
1: Yeah. So uh, in 1997, developmental biologist Stuart Newman, who at the time was working at the New York Medical College in Valhalla, which sounds like a pretty cool work- place to work. Yeah. Uh, together with a guy named Jeremy Rifkin, who's the president of the Foundation of Economic Trends, which is based out of Washington, D.C., they submitted a patent for the chimera of a human Z. So we'll explain what a chimera is mm-hmm. shortly uh, made from embryonic cells of humans and chimpa- chimpanzees. And the reason why they did this wasn't because they wanted to create a human Z. It was because they wanted to secure the patent because they wanted to prevent other people from ever making a human Z and exploiting it. Uh, in particular, they're worried about corporations. Uh, somehow building these humanities and like using them either for artificial organs, as we'll talk about later, or or even for like labor purposes. Huh. What happened was the patent was denied in 2004 by the patent and trademark office. But the the rejection basically came because the government looked at it and they said, well, this includes within its scope, a human being, which we can't legally patent a human being. So in and of itself, they sort of defined by law, that uh trying to patent any kind of species creation that it involves human crossbreeding mm-hmm. is uh, unpatentable. So we'll see. I mean, if it ever comes to c- comes to light that, you know, corporations do start <laughs> designing human Z's, we'll see how that plays out in the courts.
0: But uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. What can you say to the resulting hybrid? I'm sorry you're in violation of patent. Yeah, exactly. And so Newman and uh, and Rifkin,
1: you know, they basically their whole goal was just to start a debate. Right. Like Mm -hmm. however it played out, I, I don't think they particularly cared. They wanted the debate about what it means to be human. Uh, to actually get in there in the legal, you know, uh, jargon, especially when it came to patenting organisms uh, with human genes. And I don't know if you remember this. It's funny because uh, as we we're recording this last night was Barack Obama's last State of the Union speech. But in 2006, pr- uh, President George W. Bush, during his State of the Union speech, Called for a ban on human animal hybrids. Oh, I do you remember this. this? Yes, I do. Yes, I was. I, I remember watching it, and I mean, this is ten years ago now, and I remember watching it and thinking, "Where did this come from? It just <laughs> it came out of nowhere." And I was like, "Why is he worried about werewolves?" <laughs> uh, and now I can kind of see where the you know where where the origin of that came from. Clearly, uh, the argument got started by Newman.
0: It's interesting to think of this in terms of. um Breaking the species barrier, which is um, uh, a phrase that uh, I picked up in uh, James Randerson's um, article in um, in the Guardian, where he's talking about uh, um, Richard Dawkins uh, proposing in two thousand nine that the uh, successful hybridization between a human and a chimpanzee would would be something that would change everything. Yeah, be a real yeah, a, a real game changer for for human civilization as well. That makes whole. sense along
1: uh, Dawkins line of uh, research and, and uh, thought too. Yeah, that he so, would attack that.
0: So I I definitely <laughs> challenge everyone to keep thinking of of this species barrier as we as we move forward because in a sense it is a an artificial barrier, in a mm. sense it is a but, but it's but it's still a barrier that is is carefully maintained and it has a lot to do with with not only the biological reality of of who and what we are but also just our our existential understanding of yeah, self. Yeah, absolutely. Uh
1: and and I think it, it that we're going to keep coming back to that with these research. Uh the research that we're exploring too is that that fear, that uh confrontation of understanding <laughs> of what being human means mm-hmm. kept coming back throughout these. And for good reason. Um before we get into the like the meat of it though, I just wanted to add a note here because I always have trouble with this and I I wanted to make sure that the audience was with us. So Chimpanzees, which would be you know how we would produce a humanzee, they're not monkeys. Monkeys and great apes are separate from one another, right? Right. Uh, this it feels like the old Carl Pilkington. uh <laughs> Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm Gervais trying to explain to my inner Carl Pilkington. A great ape is a chimpanzee, a gorilla, an orangutan, a bonobo, and potentially humans, right? And here's the distinction: they don't have tails they have larger bodies and bigger brains than monkeys they're built for different kinds of locomotion and this includes walking bipedally on their legs like we do but also that swinging from branches that we think of right so uh, the anatomy of great apes is uh, their shoulder blades are designed in such a way that allows that monkeys can't necessarily do all those same things so that's what we're talking about here and the mm-hmm. distinction's important because of you know the the definition of species and how close we as human beings
0: are to chimpanzees as a species. Yeah, as a regular zoo visitor with my, uh, my son, uh, this comes up a lot as I hear other parents, uh, oh, yeah? talk about the monkeys. Oh, <laughs> we, really? Look at the monkeys. Look yeah. at him go. Look at, and, cause that's the other thing, uh, like, the gender of the, the, the creature being oh, uh, yeah. viewed is always male. It's always a him. And I always yeah. want to point out, do you see an elephant penis? <laughs> because I do not see an elephant penis. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a, that's a side tangent.
1: So let's do this. Let's line up, uh, what a hybrid is and what a chimera is. So we can kind of define those before we get into it. This is, uh, you know fertile stuff to blow your mind ground we've covered this on multiple episodes before but it's always good to have a you know,
0: primer so hybrid animals are created when the genetic material from different animals join to form a single embryo mm-hmm. so a, a mule for example is the offspring of a female horse and a male donkey right. every cell in the body of a mule contains genetic material from both parents yeah and as we'll get into later they're almost always infertile
1: yeah and if, if not other problems uh present So chimeras are a little different in that They're two different sets of DNA that originate from the fusion of different zygotes or eggs, right? Mm -hmm. So the first one of these was created actually in 1961. That's uh, quite a bit after a lot of the research that we're going to be talking about today, at least the Russian research. right? Uh, And chimeras aren't always a 50-50 blend. The example, uh, I gave this in the X-Files episode, I'll give it again here, is if you make a a chimera of a sheep and a goat, uh, it's – not going to be like half sheep, half goat, like right down the middle. It's going to look like a sheep maybe, but
0: the the uh, hair will feel like a goat, right? Like it will right. be a little bit more bristly or coarse than a sheep would be. Yeah, I mean, I've also read that you could make an argument that an individual who has animal tissue in their body, yeah. or some sort of a transplant, that they are technically... Chimera, but obviously not in a way that's really all that uh, mythological and monstrous. Right,
1: yeah. Well, right, and the term Chimera comes from uh, the the monstrous myth of, what is it? It's uh, part dragon, part uh, lion, part eagle? Is that right? I believe there's a goat on the is tail. Is a goat yeah. in there too? Okay, yeah. Uh, So it's a mix of, uh, everybody knows that monster from their D&D adventures, right? Um,
0: (laughs) A monster frequently seen in the monster manual, but I think rarely rolled out, because it's hard to get excited about something with a goat for a
1: tail. Yeah, it's just kind of a mishmash of animals and a little bit of dragon in there. So what do we mean when we say species, too? That's important, right? So most of us think, oh, a species is different kinds of animals, right, that look alike, act alike, and have babies together that follow the same paths that they do. But to biologists, there's a difference. They have a a phrase, biological species concept. And by this, they mean two animals are only the same species if they can interbreed and produce offspring that are fertile. Mm -hmm. So that's crucial, especially when we're using the mule as the benchmark here. And it leaves out a lot of the plant kingdom and even some of the animal kingdom, too, as we know from talking about lots of parasites and things on the show.
0: There's plenty of beings, species that can reproduce asexually. It's also worth noting that as you know, as any given uh, lineage uh, within the within the animal kingdom makes its way uh, uh, across uh, time, worms its way through the centuries, uh, there's um, there's divergence. So you Mm -hmm. have uh, you have what was once one species gradually become two species or more species, and some of those uh, those branches die off. Others thrive, but there can still remain the ability for those branches to reconverge, if only temporarily in the form of a hybrid. Well,
1: it's funny that you mentioned that, because actually one of the studies that I, I read for this was uh from 2006. Uh, scientists at the Broad Institute in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Massachusetts released a study where they were comparing human and primate genomes down to the letters of each base pair. And they came to the following conclusion, which is right in line with what you just said, Robert. Chimps and humans likely diverged from the same evolutionary tree 6.3 million years ago. Now that's actually a lot more recent than was previously thought. Also, early humans and chimps probably interbred with each other for 4 million years before they split as species for good. So all of you out there that are really uncomfortable with that idea, our species, are, or I guess like our proto-human ancestors, were breeding with chimpanzees for 4 million years. That's a, that's a, a likely possibility based on this study. So that implies not only are we descended from humanzees, but
0: like you said, it's possible we will become humanzees again. Yeah and uh, you know and also when you go back and, and look at archaic um uh, forms of humanity uh the, the you know, strip away the human taboos and and we have to remember that that humans have have bred with other species as well um Neanderthal genome mapping provides strong evidence that humans and Neanderthals interbred mm-hmm. between uh, one and four percent of DNA of many humans living today likely came from Neanderthals. People of European and Asian heritage, especially, are more likely to carry those genes. Um, and you know, there are some studies that that uh, support the idea that such interbreeding may have made us stronger. We pick up uh, uh, some of the strengths of this slightly alien species yeah. that we're breeding with. You know, it's not it's not all completely cut and dry. Experts go back and forth on the matter. But but there does seem to be compelling evidence to suggest that a certain amount of it occurred. Um, So in an an archaic sense, Mm. interbreeding definitely occurred. And a lot of us are the hybrid results of that. Yeah. And so I guess there's just some kind of like
1: uh a. uh, Like inner guilt that we 're all carrying around
0: <laughs> about I mean, that maybe somehow. yeah you could you could make an argument there, I guess that it's some sort of uh, uh you know uh, a, a species's um, a guilt that remains because yeah. of some uh uh slightly weird romantic tryst back in the back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this brings us back around to the idea of the humanity, the yeah, idea right. of of humans and chimpanzees or some other um notable um um great ape species, yeah. Yeah, I think chimpanzees seem to get creating uh, something
1: implied just based on any great ape slash human pairing. Right. Yeah. It's not necessarily chimpanzees.
0: Yeah. And a lot of experts have uh, have commented on this and continue to comment on this. Um, uh, Jeffrey Bourne, director of the um, the Yerkes Primate Center uh, here in Atlanta, mm. uh, one of the founding fathers of the federal program on primate research, uh, wrote the following in 1971. Quote, there seems to be very little physiological reason why artificial insemination could not be used between man and the apes with the possibility that a viable child might be reproduced. And it is surprising that this type of hybridization has not, in fact, already taken place.
1: Mm, yeah. So now I'm fascinated because I've lived here for almost 10 years. You've lived here for longer
0: than that. Mm-hmm. I've never uh, heard of or been to this place. So uh, I I'll find up out in more the about news it. occasionally. And I, I feel like I there's a friend of a friend who worked there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I don't know a tremendous amount about the, the facility. Seems like it would be a great resource for us for future episodes. Yeah, so maybe, yeah. Maybe we'll look into it. If anybody out there works there, let us know. Now we could rattle off other uh, individuals who've who've commented about the possibility in varying degrees of fear or wonder yeah. uh but really the the best place to go from here is to the study of a man who tried dearly and, and nearly succeeded mm-hmm. it feels like in carrying out such an experiment and we're talking about uh Russian biologist Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov
1: yeah also known as the red frankenstein well
0: if you if i don't you think
1: will. at the time of his life he was known that way but when these stories broke originally i my understanding is that there were some russian documents that were found technical documents about his work they were found and translated and kind of made a flurry like maybe in the 80s or 90s
0: in the media yeah this the red frankenstein thing is important to to to, to discuss here and sort of keep separate from the real Ivanov, because there's yeah. the real Ivanov, who we're going to discuss in detail. Yeah. And then there's the red Frankenstein Ivanov, which very much uh, stems from um uh, from particularly in, uh, early 1990s when certain individuals picked up on these existing documents. So right. Sometimes they're misconstrued as having been. um uh, uh, you know, top secret KGB documents. <laughs> yeah. But in reality, it sounds like these were all documents that were readily available in Russian, yeah. either at uh, the uh, the Sukhum uh, uh, Russian Primate Center or in uh, uh, Ivanov's own, uh, you know, personal uh, correspondences and, and records, his own archive. So yeah. the, the material wasn't new, but suddenly new eyes were on them. And it started spinning off uh, <laughs> uh, varying levels of unbelievable, uh, uh, you know, modern urban myth. About what he was up to.
1: Yeah, and so as we approached the research for this to bring it to you, we tried to be very careful about distinguishing the real from the mm-hmm. myth with this guy. Uh, and, it, you know, our best resource for this is actually an academic paper that came out in 2002 uh, by historian. Kirill Rosianoff, uh, and it was published in Science and Context. It's called Beyond Species, Ilya Ivanov and His Experiments on Crossbreeding Humans with Anthropoid Apes. And I think the the crucial bit there is that um, uh, Rosianoff spoke Russian, Mm -hmm. and thus was able to actually read the documents firsthand and translate them and give us something a little bit uh, as close to a primary source as possible for us English speakers uh, whereas like the articles that were showing up in like the Chicago Tribune and, and and other like fairly reputable sources were a little out there and extrapolated in their terms of like him making s- super yeah, soldier like, apes. super
0: soldier apes for Stalin for Stalin and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another source that I I really liked was uh, the paper the Russian Primate Research Center a survivor and this was by Doctor. Uh, MNP Fredman, and this is that he was the former chief of the Laboratory of Informational Analysis in Medical Primatology of the Russian Primate Center uh, at Sukhum, which is uh, which is going to be a place we're going to discuss at length there. And and it was also and it was co-authored by Dr. Douglas M. Bowden, M.D., professor of uh, Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, uh, and core staff scientist at the National Primate Research Center at the University of Washington in Seattle. So, um, and and their paper was. um, was he was even more skeptical than most of the material that I've looked at and I thought thought supplied a, a wonderful uh, breath of fresh air uh, amid so many papers that that tended to to get into that red Frankenstein territory.
1: Yeah, so I guess we should start with just a general kind of abstract overview of the Ivanov story. Which is that Ivanov was funded by the Russian government. Uh, they gave him about $200,000 to find out if it was possible to create a human Uh, and so he went, uh, to the Pasteur Institute in France, where I believe that he had had some training previously and used their primary, uh, primate facility in Conakry, Guinea to conduct his experiments. And in 1926, he had artificially impregnated Three chimpanzees, but the experiment failed. And by, sorry, I should clarify. He artificially impregnated three
0: chimpanzees, female chimpanzees with human sperm. Well, he... he attempted. He attempted to. Um, it didn't. There's no evidence that uh, that any of those pregnancies actually that anything actually occurred right. there. Um, in fact, one of them died on the way back to um, uh, to Russia, and uh, the, uh, the, um, the the necropsy performed on the the specimen showed no sign of pregnancy. Let's see, so
1: so, and this is this is uh, out of the Scotsman in 2005. Okay. They, they, they were the ones yeah. reporting on this. Uh, and so, again, like, we're going to try to parse out the, the the
0: truth from the fiction here. Um, well, he, I, I guess one of the important things to sort of start at the beginning of oh, where yeah. this guy came from. Um, so, his, so his background, uh, where he be really initially made his name, was in artificial insemination, right. particularly in, in the veterinary sciences, uh, experimenting with, with cows and horses and the like. Very real world, uh, practical applications. Uh, but... And this was like this is uh you know in the nineteen twenties, okay, right around the same time lovecraft's writing his, yeah, yeah his story, and he was a big fan of of artificial insemination he, yeah. and he figured it would allow hybridization among a, a wide variety of species but uh in uh, and we see the first inkling of this uh this idea to create a chimp hybrid uh, at the uh, international zoology congress uh in graz in nineteen ten and this is where he mentions it as a possibility, but yeah. there's no. There's no inkling that he was actually planning anything. It was just kind of yeah. like, hey, you could, you know, artificial insemination is great. You could even use it on a chimp and a human.
1: Yeah. I mean, he didn't even have access to the resources to be- begin conducting experiments like this then. Right. I mean, really what he was focusing on then was, uh, creating, like, superior horses. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But uh, then around 1922, this is during the revolution, many Russian scientists are losing their patrons and their support systems. They're forced to abandon old research, find new avenues, find new spins on their particular uh, area of expertise. And so in, a, in several uh, r- uh, letters written to um, the American biologist Raymond Pearl... Uh, Ivanov uh, indicates that he 's thinking more and more about experiments on apes and in particular about hybridization between uh, between man and chimpanzee mm. and then we see him discussing the the, the possibility uh with the scientist at uh, uh, the Pasteur Institute in paris and it it kind of builds up from there right he begins talking to folks he begins yeah. talking up this idea he begins winning uh some support here and there among uh uh, particularly among individuals uh, at the Russian Science Academy.
1: Yeah, and there, so we'll get into this. I think it's best to maybe approach it after we go through the history of Ivanov. Mm-hmm. But there are multiple reasons why he may have approached this research, right? It may not just have been, oh, let's just make a half-man, half-chimpanzee, right? Right. So uh, there are political possibilities, uh, really weird, devious possibilities for mm-hmm. old men and their sexual rejuvenation. Uh, but we'll get into that after we finish the history on him.
0: Yeah, and then there's also, it's worth noting that, you know, it's, it's, there's the work you do as a scientist mm-hmm. and then there's how you sell it, how you get funding. Yeah, exactly. And then just how your approach to a particular area of research, particularly something as, as powerful as this, may change over time. Uh, the closer you get to it, and as you're exposed to different cultural uh, attitudes concerning your um, uh, the individuals and the, the the creatures that you're going to experiment upon. Yeah, it's especially
1: interesting to see uh, as Ivanov goes from Russia to France to Africa, and then at one point he even approached supposedly an American uh, uh, woman who just was extremely wealthy to see if she would back him up with resources and the different cultural resonance and response to his his research from
0: all of those areas is is very uh very fascinating yeah that uh, uh, Rosaninoff, uh article um again be, beyond species it's uh, it's out there it's available behind a paywall if you want to pay 40 bucks for it it is uh it's a great paper that goes into a lot of depth about the uh, particularly about the the cultural attitudes that are surrounding yeah. all these different pieces like for instance he goes into how uh, on one hand he ends up going to africa and he's engaging in in you know very very racist um, uh imperial uh, ideologies concerning of right. uh, the local population and and ultimately concerning uh, uh apes as well hmm. But at the same time, he's he's received letters from the Ku Klux Klan telling him not to come to America. Oh, is that uh, yeah. right? So it's So he's... <laughs> it, 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 I'm surprised that he was on their <laughs> radar. Wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's writing around about it. The stuff yeah. his work is making headlines and, and pissing people off even at yeah. the time. <laughs> but yeah, back to the sort of the, the talking days. So he ends up making a number of friends. Uh, In the in the government at the time, people who uh, who think that if nothing else, they may not be that into the particulars of his research goal, but that but the idea of Russian scientists going to Africa, uh, carrying out some sort of big scientific expedition. That sounds good. That sounds like good PR for the Soviet Union. And we'll we'll see this
1: in other episodes where we've we've talked about, you know, uh, early 20th century Russian science too. there seemed to be just a motivation to get out there and do it right to try to break boundaries and make headlines.
0: Yeah. And it it does seem that he also factored religion into his early pitches for it to say that, hey, we want to, you know, religion is this. This this horrible force in the modern world. We want to completely remove it from from the you know the higher levels of, of modern civilization. Mm-hmm. This is a great project to help uh, convince everyone. What better way to get two hundred thousand dollars from the Bolsheviks? Yeah, and then of course once he once he actually gets funding, he stops talking about the religion angle mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately that that seems to be less on his radar. He's more focused on the on the scientific frontier here. Mm-hmm. And as explored in Beyond Species. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a lot of discussion of ethics at the time. Um, he's he's already, he's talking about basically we're going. I want to go. To, to Africa, I want to engage to engage with these apes and artificially inseminate a a, a female primate with with human sperm. Okay? Yeah, he That's didn't have an IRB
1: that he had to answer to and uh, fill out ethical uh, forms before he conducted his experiments.
0: Yeah, there seems to be some uh, some notion that there were some critical rumblings and sort of rumors already. Like not everyone who heard about this thought it sounded great, but it wasn't enough to actually derail the efforts. Mm-hmm. So as you previously mentioned, he had already made friends with the Pasteur uh, Institute, so that's what he does. He sets out to the um, to the primate center there in uh, French Guiana and sets about trying to carry out this work. Right.
1: And so one of his major goals is to get a hold of as many chimpanzees as possible
0: so he can bring them back to Russia, right? Yeah. And well, ultimately, but uh, during this initial phase, it's all about we're going to carry this out here. We're, yeah. This, we're going to inseminate a female inseminate. Which begs the question where human the human sperm. sperm came from. Yes. According to Rosianoff, they seem to have been very clear on that matter, that it, that it was not Ivanov. Nor his son, both of whom were traveling on this right. venture. Okay. Um, but there are a number of problems that that immediately pop up. Okay. first of all, at this primate research center, this is you know don't don't go into this expecting a modern primate research center. <laughs> right. In order to obtain uh, specimens, yeah. it involved local hunters going out, killing adult uh, chimpanzees, and bringing back the, the, the babies. Okay, so on, on one hand, the primates that he was working with were almost all prepubescent. So that was mm-hmm. going to prevent this from ha- from happening. Yeah. Also the conditions were not great and in, and you know surprise surprise in order for primates um particularly chimpanzees to successfully breed yeah. they need to be in at least semi comfortable surroundings.
1: I know like you hear about like today like when they're trying to get pandas to breed it's yeah. like you know, uh, pull, pulling teeth because they have to be like very comfortable and at ease with their surroundings. And can you imagine this situation? The, these chimpanzees have had their family murdered. They've been kidnapped and dragged over to this weird facility that I can't imagine had very modern, uh, no, equipment no. or, or facilities. Uh,
0: yeah. And, and it sounds like the handling of the animals was also really rough and it was dangerous work uh yeah. dealing with them. Ivanov's son was apparently severely bitten on the hand and had to go to the uh, seek medical attention over it. And in uh, the whole time, uh Rosianov argues, they seem to be treating the the chimps. Uh, A little extra harsh, perhaps in order to establish more psychic distance between human and chimpanzee because of what they're trying to do about this offspring that they have. I mean, really, he's he is such a supporter of this idea and the powers of artificial insemination. I mean, he considers it to be a done deal. They're going to yep. create this offspring and bring it back. And but how's he going to feel about that? What's fascinating about that is like even
1: Ivanov, who is like a 100 percent behind this. This was his baby. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, yeah. He he even seems to have carried that inner fear of the, the species coming too close together. Right. Yeah. It, so he kept emotional
0: distance. But the pregnancies don't seem to take hold. He's growing more and more frustrated with just how difficult this is. And so he begins to think about flipping uh, the scenario. Right.
1: So we're going to go the other way around now. We're going to impregnate a human woman with chimpanzee
0: sperm. Right. And he seems to approach this in a very cold and calculating way. And like very very much, I don't want to, maybe not cold and calculating, but his mind seems to be firmly placed on the scientific goal here. And... uh, and so if it's if it's extremely difficult and dangerous to deal with the chimp, better to deal with the human. Right. Right. Because he's also experimented. You can just shoot the chimp, a male chimp. You can then yeah. get sperm from the uh, the corpse and use that viable sperm as in artificial insemination. So wait, was he planning on telling the human woman what he was going to be putting inside her? That's that's where this gets really ethically shady is okay. that uh, he apparently figured, all right, the the best way to do this is to also not have the local woman, because that's the other th- thing. That's where you get into the, into a lot of the um, the, the racist uh, imperial yeah. attitudes toward uh, toward local Africans. Yeah, um, he begins to think, well, the best way to do this is just to not tell her what you've done, because that's going to uh, just endanger the whole process even more. OK. And this is where we come to Conakry, okay? Okay. Because this is where he tries to set this up. He had, uh, on, on the way to Guyana in uh, November of 1926, he started talking to a fellow t- a traveler, a Dr. Uh, uh, Dupay, who was head of the Colonial Health Service uh, in the area. Okay. And he ended up inquiring with this guy for permission to inseminate native women with chimpanzee sperm in a hospital in the Congo, without their knowledge or consent, as a means to streamline the Jeez. process, and, um, and apparently permission was initially granted. Uh, yeah. And he and he was all they were going to supply a patient. Everything was going to be good to go. But then saner heads prevailed. They changed their mind, mm-hmm. and the Ivanovs were apparently just really offended by by the whole uh, whole, whole situation. Yeah. So they. Turned around and went right back. Yeah, they they basically the expedition they ran out of time and funding. They had to go back to Russia. He ends up packing it all up and heading to Sukhum. This is in the southern Soviet Republic of Georgia. Uh, where the Soviet this is where the Soviet government established a special primate station mainly because this was a this is a subtropical area yeah. for the Soviet Union this was a really warm tropical environment so they thought it would be ideal for the chimpanzees yeah. as it turns out um, they still had to acclimatize the, the any chimps and orangutans that they brought there because it's mm-hmm. it's actually kind of uh, kind of chilly kind of northern for uh tropical sure. chimps yeah but uh, but they ended up setting this uh, this place up. And Sukhum becomes a, a very important uh, research facility in the decades ahead. It plays into uh, the Russian space program, various other scientific endeavors. It actually ends up enduring uh, all the way up to uh, the early 90s when it ends up being destroyed uh, huh. during severe fighting between the Georgian and uh, uh, Bakhazan uh, param- paramilitary groups. Oh, okay. But uh, this actually, like, in terms of uh, Ivanov's legacy... yeah. I mean, this is really the the thing that I guess he could have been proud of. So
1: let's okay, let's try to um, split the hairs here and find the truth out on this part. So what I read in an article from New Scientist was that uh, Sukum or sorry, not Sukum Ivanov brought 20 chimps with him from Africa to this nursery, but only four made it there. And
0: I think there's some discrepancy there, right? The count I was looking at, I think was a little less than that, yeah, um, more on the lines of like ten different chimps, but, okay, and then some died on the way, so i don 't i don't know maybe you split the difference, but he still made it back with a number of chimps enough yeah. to establish this place and, and uh, it ultimately ends up with only one an orangutan that was named Tarzan, correct, yeah, and this is worth stressing too. this comes from the um uh, uh, the Russian primate center, a survivor paper I mentioned earlier okay there they were really um. Uh, they really stress the fact that Ivanov helped set this place up, but he was never like a staff researcher there. He right. only visited the place once. So his involvement there is, was very limited. Hey, he's not a primate specialist. His, yeah. his field of study is in artificial insemination. Exactly, yeah. And and at this point, uh, the timeline becomes get, begins to get really crunched too okay. in terms of, of him uh, still wanting to carry out this, uh, this, stra- this strange and uh, ethically um, questionable uh, experiment because yeah. he still wants to impregnate a, a human being with, um, with with chimpanzee sperm or vice versa. So uh, another like a dubious account,
1: I'm not sure if this is true or not, that I read about this, was that the human woman in Russia that they convinced to go about doing this. So it sounded like she was willing and knew what was going on. She went by the code name Woman G.
0: Yes, yeah, she was apparently from uh, from Leningrad. Okay. Uh, and she wrote a letter saying, like, please accept me into this program, which, yeah. of course, Ray... <laughs> I mean given the time and the setting I mean you can you can imagine easily imagine an individual that's so hard up oh yeah that they sure. would say yes take me I need a place to go so I you know I don't and that's also this is a case that is mentioned uh by uh, Rosanov in his uh, paper Beyond Species so mm-hmm. I I I believe it seems like
1: that's probably true then.
0: Yeah. And so he he thinks, all right, I have a woman lined up. We have Tarzan there. Uh, The sperm apparently seemed good. But then June 1929, Tarzan dies of an unexpected brain hemorrhage and they have to order some chimps. But it ends up being summer 1930 before they arrive. Yeah. And in the meantime, there's even more political uh,
1: revolution going on within Russia.
0: Yeah, Ivanov, during this whole point, he's not in, in, uh, he- He's not at the Russian Primate Center. He is at uh, the Experimental uh, Veterinary Institute, uh, engaging in sort of his original research, you yeah. know, just original artificial insemination with a veterinary, uh, um, uh, target in mind. Uh, but he's trying to set all this up. And there seems to be an upheaval there. Um, he, he's attacked by younger researchers, his key sub- supporters at the, at the Scientific Academy. They lose their positions. Mm. And then to, to just top it all off, uh December nineteen thirty. He's arrested by the secret police, and it it has nothing to do with these these experiments. Right. It so, doesn't.
1: It doesn't have anything to do with, <laughs> with yeah. the hybridization of apes and humans.
0: No. He's charged with creating a counter revolutionary organization among agricultural specialists. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> and it, this is interesting, though, to get into the Red Frankenstein thing. Yeah. You see varying levels of either the authors not caring about the the the, the, the details, details here. Yeah. Ghosting over it, or maybe even uh, making it seem as if it was connected, as if right. the, the, as if his superiors were like, "This is too much. We're shutting you down." Oh yeah, at least two of the accounts
1: I read painted it that yeah. way, made it sound like it was because of this research. Yeah.
0: Now that being said, he was shut down mm-hmm. after this. There were uh, individuals who uh, in in uh, the, the Soviet system who found out the details about what he wanted to do because mm-hmm. he wanted to go back to Africa and do it again, right, and, and attempt it, but. They begin to say, say, well, this actually sounds like rather bad PR. This could potentially screw up our operations in Africa. This could make it difficult for other Russian scientists to go to Africa and conduct their work. Mm-hmm. We want no part of it. Okay. So anyway, he gets arrested. He uh, He's exiled for five years to Ata, the uh, capital of the uh, Kazakh Republic. And... um uh, and, oh, and his, one of his main accusers, uh, ends up, uh, seceding him as head of the laboratory at the veterinary institute, which huh. was apparently was pretty common at the time.
1: Yeah. So the story I read was that when he's in Kazakhstan, he, uh, ends up with poor health. I don't know if that's because of, like, difference in the weather or maybe his age at that point in time, but I think it said something along the lines of, like, he died on a cold train platform.
0: I mean, maybe, because uh, the account I read, uh, here is that he, Yeah, his health deteriorated in prison because the conditions there. Yeah. And, uh, he he ends up, he's scheduled for release finally. And his release, it's worth noting, he would not have come back and been able to work with chimps and, uh, and humans. He was gonna, if anything, he was gonna go back uh, into veterinary sciences of some, some, yeah, stick with the horses. Yeah. But then he dies. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it happened on a, on a train platform. Yeah, who
1: knows? Uh, so there's some interesting, uh, I guess, like discrepancies of, between what his actual motivations were for doing this, right? So there's the mythical one, which is Stalin saying, "Let let's make these super ape soldiers, so we can use them as part of our great revolution," right? But then th- that doesn't really seem to be true. In fact, like from what I saw, it doesn't seem like Stalin had any direct involvement with this whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I mean Stalin had plenty to <laughs> to occupy himself with at one time. Yeah.
1: So then there's the argument, which is. That uh Ivanov's motivation was to prove that man evolved from apes so that he could prove that Darwin was right and that religion was wrong, and this is the Bolshevik rhetoric version
0: right, and based on what I've read, it sounds it sounds as if that played into his um attempts to gain funding for the program, yeah, but it it doesn't seem as if that actually played into his motivations. It doesn't show up in his diary uh, entries, et cetera. and another one that I read. Uh, and this ties back into
1: uh, an, an, another controversial Russian scientist named Serge Voronov uh, was that the aging Bolshevik leaders wanted him to discover ways uh, to basically breed glands that they could use for rejuvenation. So uh, w- while he's doing the research in France, he gets together with Serge Voronoff, who's known for grafting slices of ape testes into rich old men so they can regain their, quote, vigor. Uh, and together, the two of them purportedly transplanted a woman's ovary into a chimpanzee and then inseminated her with human sperm. But, uh, you know, again, uh, myth, fact and fiction, not so sure about all this stuff other than Voronov's reputation.
0: My understanding of this particular incident is that it is more or less a construction yeah. of a of a particular Russian sci-fi writer who in the oh, early yeah? 90s was one of the individuals, one of the primary individuals to unearth some of these documents uh-huh. against again doing stuff with them. Yeah. And it uh the, the criticism that is lodged in that um, uh that Russian primate center of Survivor paper is that this guy basically uh did a little League of Extraordinary gentlemen uh <laughs> He kind uh, of tinkering. took the
1: best of both worlds and made a narrative. Yeah, out like of it.
0: A, they argue that there was no connection between these very real um, uh, tissue grafting uh, experiments. And yeah, that, certainly that is a whole. Yeah, Voronoff did do yeah, this. Yeah, that was a real guy. This was real research, and, and that in, that research is in and of itself very interesting. Mm-hmm. But it sounds as if basically the guy said, "Hey, this character is cool and weird and interesting and kind of scary. Yeah. So is this one. Let's make a meet up. Yeah, they were buddies." <laughs> So, yeah, I would definitely take that uh, bit of the story with a grain of salt. And then this last one
1: that I read, and this this, again, seems like it fits too conveniently into the rhetoric <laughs> of the political situation in Russia at the time, was that the whole idea behind this was to help transform society by transforming people using, quote, positive eugenics uh and that the idea is they breed in desirable traits which would be the willingness to work and communal living mm-hmm. and they would breed out primitive needs such as competition greed and the idea of property ownership
0: well you know given the time frame i mean you, you really can't look at this story without the shadow of eugenics falling on it oh uh, yeah varying degrees so yeah i don't think you can write eugenics out but on the other hand it 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 doesn't seem like he seems to have been laser focused on on just the idea of of breaking that species barrier. Yeah, I but, think
1: he was just primarily interested in the wonder of science and yeah. whether or not it could happen.
0: But it, it also is a, it shows that if you were laser focused on something like that, you uh, to the point to where, you know, your, your ethics erode around that focus, uh, you can end up in a very scary place. So,
1: Ivanov isn't the only person to have attempted this. There's actually another story, and again, there's a lot of, uh, this hasn't been, as far as I could find, uh, studied as much as the Ivanov incident, and mm-hmm. the fact hasn't been separated from the fiction just yet. But, uh, there's an article from the St. Painter- Petersburg independent in 1981 called the Chinese aimed to implant human sperm in chimps. And it claimed uh, by interviewing a guy named Dr. Ji Yongsheng Shang uh, that he was experimenting with fertilizing chimpanzees with human sperm in the 1960s. So this is well after Ivanov. He must have been familiar with that research, I would think. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and he said that they did actually impregnate a chimp and it was pregnant for Three months before his experiment was halted. But again, there's no evidence of any of this. This is just this guy's word. And apparently he was a surgeon who directed the Sun Jiao Tian Hospital in Shenyang. And during China's Cultural Revolution in 1967, uh, very similar to the Ivanov situation, he was branded a counter-revolutionary. His lab was smashed up, and that subsequently the chimp, who was, was supposedly three months pregnant, uh, died from neglect, and the researchers were hounded away from their studies, so they were never able to complete these. Uh, and he says, this is where it borders on the sci-fi, Yeah, he says the research, if it resumes, so this was in the 80s, clearly it did not resume, unless there's a secret history here that we're unfamiliar with. Um, has the potential to develop creatures with a higher animal intelligence who could speak and perform simple tasks. So what he was thinking of here is that they would be like laborers, Okay, uh, that they would use him, uh, human for, um, they would breed into them a larger brain and a bigger mouth because chimpanzees have trouble imitating human sounds with their narrow mouths. Mm-hmm. So they would be used for herding sheep and cows, driving carts, and exploring space, the bottom of the sea, and mines—so really dangerous stuff that we it, don't
0: want. It's interesting here because he's—he's he's definitely seems to be falling on the side of viewing the hybrid offspring yeah. as a non-human or subhuman. Oh species. yeah, like almost like it's a slave race. Yeah, yeah, it's disturbing. so still letting them explore space, which right. also seems a little like that. That seems like you're maybe giving them a really well, like cushy job and don't forget
1: about we we did send
0: chimpanzees into space That's true. so maybe
1: it's just like he's looking at like a a more accelerated version of
0: yeah that. yeah more like an, yeah, an accelerated species uh, uh an accelerated test subject as maybe. opposed to anything else so he he
1: he proposed uh in this article that uh that they would provide solutions as well for transplanting animal organs into humans. So they would be better than artificial organs, which were kind of the trending at mm, the time. Okay. Uh, and he wanted to set up a factory that would provide these ape organs and even thought that they would get to the point for head transplants, which, you know, we're, we're talking about right now again in 2015. But his idea was that you would, uh, be able to transplant a human brain into a human Z skull uh, in case there was some kind of, you know, problem. So so a full-blown, full-body transplant. Yeah. Yeah. Ultra humanite. Getting back to that that DC Comics character I mentioned at the beginning, he wanted to make an ultra humanite. Uh and he claimed that there were other researchers at the time at the Harbin Medical University in China that were doing the same thing but with dogs. They were trying to uh, see if they could transplant I don't think they were putting human brains into dogs. They were trying to see if they could do head transplants oh, with yes. dogs. Yeah,
0: those those uh, those experiments are, are reasonably well documented. Yeah. Also that it's all another area of uh of uh, scientific exploration that that gets into the taboo. Mm. But this seems like
1: another fertile area for uh, an academic paper out there if somebody speaks Chinese and could get a hold of the documents yeah, from this yeah, period indeed. of time uh, and really kind of parse out what the actual facts were. Uh but so so there've been rumors like if you go to the wiki page, Wikipedia page for Human Z, there's plenty of rumors about Russia trying to develop Human Zs and China trying to develop Human Zs. But as far as we can find with the research that we've done, neither actually did it, although these attempts were purportedly
0: made. Yeah. So the facts seem to be as follows. It can theoretically be done. Right. But in order to do it, you it's you have to have the right conditions. You have to have the right uh, uh, medical technology. You have to have the right funding. You have to be able to do it without... Uh, uh, objectionable parties uh, dis- disrupting your research. Yeah, you need to be able to convince the the politicians
1: involved or the public, if they're aware of it, uh, that there's reasons for it that are beyond the squick factor yeah. <laughs> of just breeding two species together.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, You can make an argument for these various benefits, but ultimately crossing the species barrier lands you in a very ethically uh existentially troubling area mm-hmm. and it's just a place that most people are not willing to go occasionally you'll have a scientist pop up who has the the drive and maybe even the resources to get them to a certain point yeah but society as a whole is not going to support that uh that momentum yeah so far so I would love to know actually
1: uh, from you our listeners if uh if, you know what your thoughts are on this. So if you uh, opened up uh you know Facebook or your RSS reader first thing in the morning and you see a headline that says US to uh combine uh human and chimp uh DNA to make a human Z. Like let's le- even leave out the breeding aspect uh-huh. of it. What what would your reaction be? You know, would you be comfortable with that? What
0: what purpose would it serve? I don't, I'm curious. Or even this. Like, imagine this scenario. We'll just go ahead and remove the, uh, the, the, the research and the, the experiment itself. Okay. Imagine that it comes out tomorrow. Hey, turns out they actually conducted this experiment. We shut the experiment down. Right. It's not taking place anymore. But here's the offspring. Here is the humanity. Yeah. How are we so how do we feel about the humanity then is it and is it a human is it a subhuman is it do we, do we give it personhood I feel like we yeah, have what to kind give of it rights does it have yeah
1: right yeah it, that reminds me of um Oliver, which was the um i believe the 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 first like supposed instance of oh, this, yes, right yes. it was this kind of uh a ape that had human like features and I think that there was some j- distinction with its DNA. Its DNA was a little weird, but I don't think it was actually a human Z. No, yeah. But when but when it broke it was kind of like a national enquirer
0: tabloid type thing. Yeah, because for for a moment it I think for a lot of readers then it seemed possible. Mm-hmm. Because as we discussed, it is possible. This is the human Z yeah. is not a creature that Em- w- will or could emerge completely from the realm of the fantastic, yeah. but a but a being that can emerge from the scientific realm of our of our real world. Yeah, I mean, like ninety nine percent of
1: the DNA between humans and chimpanzees are the same. Not much of a leap. Although I wonder if a humanzee would be fertile, because then that would be the real definition of of if it's a species or not. Well, that's why you need the factory, right? Mm-hmm. Because, exactly. Yeah, yeah you got
0: crank them out. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, we will make sure that the landing page for this episode includes links out to some of the key resources that we've discussed here. Uh, again, if you want to, if you want to explore the topics further, those are great resources to check out. Um, in the meantime, head on over to com. just in general for all the podcast episodes, the videos, the blog posts, uh, lists, galleries, links out to social media accounts, you name it. And if you want to let us know about how you feel about human and the possibilities of them
1: either being used for artificial organs or some kind of labor use or, or whatever, even just the, the, the invention of a human Z, uh, let us know on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and uh, we're on Periscope uh, noon on Fridays, Eastern Standard Time, or you can always write us directly at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.